Paul and Sherry have a Paul podcast. Paul and Sherry podcast. Yes. Yes. I press the button. Yes. Do you yes. realize? Press the button. Do you realize that most of our podcasts don't start with Paul and Sherry have a podcast? Yes. They start with I've pressed the button. <laughs> <laughs> have you pressed the button? I have pressed the button. So for next season, we'll have to come up with a different way to start things instead of Paul. Have you pushed the button? Yeah, we talked about a new intro. As well, you know, we'll replace the Paul and Jerry podcast with something else. No, we'll we can't that a bit. replace that. I love it. We can do it in the past tense, right? Where at the end of the episode, we can say, Paul and Jerry did a podcast. Yes. I think we keep it, but we layer in some really awesome music. That's what it's missing. Oh, so we are going to upgrade the entirety of the listening experience in our next season. And when does that next season even start, Sherry? Let me look at my notes here. Oh, when does it start? It I believe it's uh, next, next week. Next week. Which Ooh. means this is the season one finale. Finale. Which means we have to leave our listeners on a cliffhanger. Tinter should hooks. we like. Tinter hooks. I think we, yeah, well, I don't know. Like, maybe we should pretend to get in a fight and just call the whole thing off and then let people wait a week to find out whether we're going to record again. Will there be another episode? Is the podcast over? What will people do on Tuesday afternoon? What will they do? Wait and see. Wait and see. Well, yeah. I have strong suspicions that we will record season two, episode one next week. Yeah, I also have a strong suspicion that we're not going to have a fight in the middle of this one. But who knows? We'll see. And so will our uh, beloved listeners. Indeed. In one hour, all things will be known. All things will be known. And uh, thank you, our listeners, for um, supporting us this first season. Indeed. Indeed. And mm -hmm. if you... Um, if you uh, what do we do? Sorry, I'm, I'm kind of studying around a little bit. Uh, so our, our podcast seasons are in line with the, um, astronomical seasons. So our new seasons begun on equinoxes and solstices. So as we approach the summer solstice, so begins season two. The first episode mm -hmm. is titled Summer. Summer. So next week we'll talk about summer. And we can look forward to that. Uh, I know, we'll look I know, forward to sure all the songs you can sing related to summertime. Summertime, and the living's easy. Anytime the songs are mentioned to Dr. Paul Fitzgerald, you can bet your bottom dollar that a song is coming out. And I think our listeners should think about that and should send in requests. Yeah. I talked about this in, uh, in that workshop the other day. Why do I sing all the time? Because people think I'm full mm -hmm. of joy. Um, and jocularity. And it's like, no, I'm scared shitless. And I sing my way out of it. Yeah. <laughs> I sing my way out of it. That's a Terrence McKenna. Um, who Do you I've... know that Jason Isbell song, Anxiety? I don't. I don't. Oh, well, you should get, you should listen to that one. And then you can sing it when you're anxious. Yeah. It'll be great. Yeah. Terrence McKenna used to talk about this in a vastly different context than, than the way that we are. That when he's in the middle of a, DMT, well, was, he passed away a decade and a half ago when he was in the middle of a DMT trip or blasted on mushrooms. Terrence McKenna being sort of seen as being the successor to Timothy Leary. Um, and, mm -hmm. uh, 
brilliant guy, ethno degree from UC Berkeley in ethnobotany. I mean, he was a bright guy, published a lot of papers, and he was tripping most of the time. I think afterwards, <laughs> after that, um, and he actually started a, a nonprofit to um, secure and and grow uh, shamanic hallucinogenic plants in Hawaii. Right, just almost like as a library. Of psychoactive, yeah, that are used by traditional shamanic cultures. Um, and so he said, sometimes you just got to sing your way through it if you're, <laughs> if you're just kind of out there. It's like, oh my God, you know, I have no idea what's going on. It's like, just sing. Like the vibrations in your body reground you. They remind you of your present sense of knowing and of being and of the felt sense of your reality in the moment that you're in. And everything about singing, uh, brings you back to, um, your present sense. And, uh, it's a good way to pass the time if you're feeling anxious. So I sing all the times because I'm scared shitless. Um, interesting. <laughs> yeah, this, it's interesting because, so right before, I guess during spring break, so back in March, uh, the last week we were still hanging out with other humans in person. Mm-hmm. Um, I was hanging out with a couple of our mutual friends. And for whatever reason, we started, we decided that a good thing to do would be to do my numerology, mm. uh, which I'd never b- done before, which was very interesting. But on the particular website we were on for this purpose, one of the pieces of advice that it had for me was that I should be singing all the time. Mm. That my singing would bring joy. Um, and I've always maintained that my singing voice brings only sadness. Um, but I have gotten a lot more comfortable, actually. Since reading that, like, oh, well, what could go wrong? Like, if people can't handle my delightful singing voice, oh, well. I don't think um, I ever really gave a shit. I just sort of let it rip. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah, but I everybody sounds good. Either. Everybody sounds good in the shower. Right? Mm. So if you wonder, start my there. Daddy- You'll sound good. And then you kind of move up from there as your vocal cords develop. Yeah. My dad used to always say, sing from the heart and God doesn't hear feedback. Right. Um I think that's, true. I have no idea whether that's true, but it's always felt right. Yeah, it feels pretty good. Yeah, it's interesting. All Things Known. All Things Known. So that's the title of this episode. It is. Woo! The season finale. Um, by all so things, I think should... yeah. By all things, we mean some things to this point. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Other things will so be I was gonna... later. Yeah, I was going to say, okay, so you say all things known all the time, and usually you punctuate it that way, too. It's like, so if anyone here has heard Paul say this before, he says it the same way every time. It's all things known, right? Like, it's like that. Um, so, Paul, mm-hmm. what do you mean when you're saying that? Oh, what do I mean when I'm saying that all things Known. Um, I, there's a variant that I have used, um, which sometimes is all things becoming known. Um, knowledge coming to me in my felt experience of what's going on that was not known to me before. Ah, mm-hmm. insight. Ah, okay. I see. All things known. Um, and that's not a statement of, of truth. It's, it's, it's more of a, re- a reiteration of the objective or a reiteration of a hope. It's like it's this is one more I'm I'm one step closer. You mm-hmm. know, to to not that anybody's ever gonna know anything. I mean don't get me wrong. You know, it's it's a it's a right. ridiculous goal to aspire to as one you failed before you started. Um 
all things known. Um, and sometimes it, it's a statement that means something that has been said has resonated with me in a particular way. Sometimes it's brand new stuff. It's like, oh, wow, I had no idea. All things mm-hmm. known. Um, because what you know is, is all things that you know. Mm-hmm. You know, and you knew all things before that were known to you, and now you know something else. So it requires a reiteration. Ah, now all things, all things known. Um, mm-hmm. And so it, for- but it's it's for the other person too. It's not just a reflection of me. It's like the other person is saying something that that indicates knowledge on their side, or insight, or awareness. Because uh, something else we say is ah aware. Mm-hmm. <laughs> awareness noticing ah, noticing i'm noticing yeah okay noticing and it's not like hey look it's a duck ah noticing it's like hmm i'm not feeling that great hmm. noticing noticing right it's it's an it's an expression of uh what would i say it's an expression of um attention it's where attention mm-hmm. goes it's attentiveness it's attending to um what is going on with with others as a witness as a witness mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well and i think that's it's interesting like yes so we we spend a lot of time talking about noticing aware and i think er like i feel like those two words were really useful for how you and i came to better understand each other mm-hmm. right all things becoming we came at, known. We, we came at each other from very different perspectives. <laughs> yeah, very like different perspectives, similar, very different sides. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, for details, go to last week's episode yeah. where Paul's all about his body and Sherry's like, but well, what, what are you, you thinking? Talking, what are you talking about? Tell me your thoughts. God, the body's stupid. Um, who would do that? Who would do that? <laughs> who would do that? Uh, yeah. Um, but I think one of the ways that like we sort of like sort of cracked into like how to communicate with each other well is I think we got very intentional about articulating what we were noticing and what we wanted the other one to notice. Yeah, like, I think you're right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it became like, I would like you to notice that X. <laughs> And then the response is, I am aware. <laughs> we were not figuring that out on our own. So <laughs> the thing to notice right now is that I'm really pissed. And that <laughs> I would like you to become aware of that. And that's, I mean, I'm not saying, I mean, that didn't, wasn't every day. You know, it's like, I don't know if it really came down to that. But it's like, I would like to. Um, but this is, again, this is a part of nonviolent communication 101. Right now, I'm feeling what it is, you know. Um uh, and that's because I I need this. And, uh, mm-hmm. I'm not getting it or whatever. Or I don't need this and I am getting it. And um, it's like the important thing to hear is to notice. Imagine if everybody communicated with each other where they called out uh, specificity to what it is they really or need or what they really want and what they are calling attention to in a, in a clear way. It's It's not being weird it's like it's a service to the other person you're communicating with i think i think you're right i it also um it sort of taps into what for me was kind of the most maybe interesting or sort of mind-breaking part of tara brack's uh 
radical compassion. Mm-hmm. Like she sort of starts it off with like this, this commentary about like people going around being in trance. Mm-hmm. Um, and like this kind of like low level, like not aware. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when I read that, um, cause I read that book back in what January or so, mm-hmm. I think I realized like how much of my life I spend trying not to be aware of where I'm at. Like, I I think that was like an active thing. And I can now notice when I've been operating in sort of just like this kind of trance, like not being aware, not being present, just sort of grinding through. And one of the things I hate that I know about myself related to this is that one of the best things for me to notice, all things known, is that when I'm just grinding through, um, I'm incredibly clumsy. Mm. Um, and so when I'm like checked out and I'm not like taking care of myself or whatever, um, I just become incredibly clumsy. And so one of the hallmarks of this, like yesterday, uh, and Paul, you know this cause we've talked about it. Like yesterday, I, I did not take care of myself the entire day. And so how did that end? I spilled an entire water bottle on a laptop computer mm-hmm. and that computer will not be okay. <laughs> I hope it likes rice because it's sitting in a bag of rice. Then sitting in a bag of rice for a day. Um, but that's, you know, I was grinding through. I wasn't stopping and pausing and taking care of myself. I was just, I was in the grind. Yeah. And then you do stuff that you, and you're like, ah, all things okay. known. Yeah, all things known. All things known. I need to pay attention. To pay What's attention. happening here? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I do that sometimes. I mean, I'll walk around and start tripping over a bunch of stuff, you know, mm-hmm. or, you know, I'll, I'll start feeling a lot of tension in my shoulders. It's like I am not attending to myself. Or I mean, you get these little little hints. I mean, if, you, if you're able to pay attention, you, you get these little hints. Sometimes you get big hints. Um, I don't think I'm saying anything that people don't usually know. Um, and with, with things like shoulder tension or clumsiness, I mean, it's like, do I need to go get a massage, you know, to loosen up my tension? Or do I need to think about why my, my shoulders are tense? Do I need mm-hmm. to think about why I'm being clumsy right now? Do I need to think about whatever, whatever it might be? Um, yeah. and it's like the, there's the all thing known, ah, I'm noticing that I'm being clumsy or that clumsiness is happening. Uh, what does that mean? And ah, there's the noticing of, I've noticed that when I am feeling clumsy, I may not be attending to myself. So there's, there's multiple levels to the knowing of this, mm-hmm. I think. And, oh, aware. Mm-hmm. Noticing. Yeah. So what if, what if, oh, here we go. What if, right? When we. Oh, how many minutes in and we're already at, oh, what, <laughs> what if? Okay, yeah, one, here what we go. If, yeah, what if, um, when something happened that did not go, uh, the way you thought, an act of clumsiness, either whatever, um, an act of clumsiness or some tension in your shoulders just said, ah, aware, noticing. Hmm, I see you. Interesting, aware, noticing, noticing. Hmm. Uh, how often do you go during the day and say, ah, oh, noticing? And what if, and these are two what ifs in quick succession. Um, what if 
in doing so, that little switch was flipped where you go from, as you were describing, sort of going through your day, um, checked out isn't really in, in the trance, sort of the trance um, that, that might mm-hmm. be in, with occasional moments of, of awareness and noticing to being in a default state of awareness and noting, noticing with an occasional trance thrown in. Yeah. Well, and it's, you know, my experience yesterday, like yesterday was a very transful day. Um, and one of the things I noticed is that it, this was one of the first days that I had kind of existed in that way in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think when, you, when I am working a lot harder to be like, how do I be present? Am I checking in with myself? And I basically willfully didn't check in with myself yesterday, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, well, it's like, a pain to have to do it. It's a pain. It's, but. I needed a day off. <laughs> this Sherry Spiegel stuff, she's exhausting. Um, though I did say a version of that to my husband today, and he said, I would like you to reframe that narrative. Nice. Mm. All things known. What a kind thing. What a kind suggestion. Mm. I know, right? Yeah. It is. I mean, it's work, though. It's work taking... I mean, and that's one of the things that... I think the more I realize this, the more I can't run away from it. Mm-hmm. It is a full-time job to take care of a human person. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of work. It is a lot of work. And um, what does that work entail? And I mean, books have been written about this. Industries have been uh, built around this. What do you need? What do you need? How do you resource yourself? How, what do you need? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you mm-hmm. take care of yourself? Um, so saying, ah, noticing all things known, aware is one part of that. What do you follow that up with? You know, and, mm. and Tara Brock in, uh, in her, her, the rain practice that she talks about in radical compassion. Um, uh, there's, there's a, a fifth part at the end, right? That eh, some people get to, some people don't. It's after the rain, you know, and yeah. after the rain is pretty much a, well, so what now? How do you feel? You know, rinse and repeat. Do we go back to start that with R again or are we, are we good? So what is noticing right. and being aware of the felt sense after you've unpacked some, you know, allowing and some in, in, inquiry into what you're feeling and some nurturing that you might want to engage with? What then? What now? What next? You know, um, now that you've done that, where do you go? Where do you go? Yeah. Noticing a felt sense of something. After you've taken the time to pay attention to yourself and to care for yourself a little bit and noticing what those things are that really do nurture you and Mm -hmm. recharge you and refresh you Um, and noticing when that's something that you need and noticing when the tank is empty and you're not able to pull from that tank to be your best self. Well, and I think even that is work, like knowing what you need. That's what the industry is built around that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so Paul, in your life, how do you know when your tank's empty? And then what do you do about it? What do I do when my tank is empty? And how do you know? Yeah, how do I know? Um, 
Or maybe maybe you don't. I mean, getting the tank all the way empty is very anxiety inducing. It's I'm the been kind done. of girl. No, it's been done. It's been- I don't drive a I don't drive a car that's like got the little gas light on. Um, how do you know your gas light's about to come on? Believe me, the tank has been empty. Um, uh, how do I know the? Um, I I do get. My my body does talk back to me sometimes and voices displeasure in, in some mm-hmm. ways. Um, I uh, eat shitty things, mm-hmm. you know, which shows up in my diet a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Am I eating, uh, you know, rice and leafy greens and sautéed squash with chickpeas, or am I swinging by the Taco Bell on the way home, you know, and eating it in my car? Uh, your car seems to be a trigger for you. It is. Well, it is. You know, that's why I hide my shame is, is in the car. Because, um, I mean, there have been times where it, uh, it really does show up. And particular, there was this particularly stressful time about a year and a half ago. And it was, I don't want to say, oh, my God, it was bad. But clearly my tank was very, very low. And um, I... I you know, I was stopping at the grocery store on the way home and getting like the shittiest, worst chicken wings you can possibly find in the deli, and just like eating them in my car before I got home. <laughs> you know, to cook dinner, to cook dinner. You know, which could have been something else that was shitty. I don't know, but um, for me, it shows up a lot. In my, you know, and I do know that it's like, oh man, I'm really feeling these like strong bodily urges to eat like really shitty food. It's like something's going on. Something's going on. Mm-hmm. Um. And uh, heart disease runs in my family. Hypertension runs in my family. You know, um, so these are things that I do need to pay attention to now that I'm coming up on the big five zero. Um, but I got a while, so it's cool. Yeah, shows up in diet. Uh, shows up in diet a lot. Um, shows up in body aches and pains a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Most mostly my joints, elbow, mm-hmm. knee, shoulder, um, shoulder stuff. Sleep. I don't know if it's there. Uh, my sleep tends to come and go. Right now, I'm sleeping about six hours a night, and but it, I'm fine. You know, I'm mm-hmm. not sluggish during the day. Um, sleep really hasn't been a... If I'm not sleeping, something must be going on. I've not been very sensitive to that. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm usually... It, it, I'm, I'm blessed in that it does not show up that way. Um, I always put sleep like way up on my priority list. I will not compromise sleep. I just won't, Mm -hmm. I just won't do it. You know, I won't do it. So I'm always putting myself in the position to get a good seven or eight a night. Whether or not I do depends on other things, but it doesn't seem to be stress related or tension related or whatever. How blessed you are. Yeah, I know. I know. The the downside is. Every insomniac listening to us yeah, is like shaking listeners. their fist at you. Um, and I want all those people to know I'm with them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. All the, well, all the, all the hypertension, you know, and cholesterol drug manufacturers are like, yes, let's stress this guy out. Let's stress this guy out. <laughs> yeah. That's um, interesting though. I think, um. How do you do it? Well, yeah. So I think I know my tank is empty. Uh, some of it is, and this is, this taps back into what we talked about last week in some ways. Um, it comes out in my language first. I, that's where I start to notice it because I don't listen to my body. But let's be clear, my body is always talking to me, right? Like, I will, like, I'll know that I'm exhausted and that my body is just begging for, like, 
rest. Yeah. Um, but it comes out in the way I talk. Like I will start, I'll start telling Eric, uh, that my days are relentless. Um, and, and what that usually means is I am going from one thing to the next with no, with no concern for the fact that a human person can't do that. Um, and that no one in the world actually expects me to, um, except for me. So it, it comes out a lot in my language. Um, I tend to take on, I tend to actually feel like I say no less often when I am nearing empty. Mm. Um, less because often, I'm just, less often. Yes. Because it's like, well, I've already got this heap of shit on me. What's one more thing? Mm. What's one more thing? Um, and so when I am really at almost at my limits, that's when I am incapable of saying I can't take on more. Um, and so people will say to me like, well, why didn't you tell me that you were overtapped? Having a conversation about my limits was the last thing I could yeah. take on in that moment. Really? Really? Um, yeah, so I tend to just, I tend to take on more and more and more. Um, so I think one of the things I can do is I can pay attention to my language and see where, am I using words like relentless, nonstop, uh, exhaustion? Uh, am I, am I saying the word, sure, fine, I can do it, no problem. Um, the more I say no problem or no worries, um, there's a problem and I, we need to be worried. I know there's yeah. a problem and someone should be worried should be and worried. it's me. Yeah. Um, because I think when I'm more restored, I'm a lot better at saying, um, where I need support, uh, articulating what's going well for me, mm-hmm. articulating what's less well. Um, right. it doesn't mean I'm good at this, but like, cause there are times where I will see the language I'm using like yesterday. Um, for one, I knew, oh, this is the other thing. I knew I was headed to the danger zone because I was cleaning out a closet. Uh oh. I don't clean out a closet when I'm in a good emotional state. Yeah. yeah right? And I, and I purposely did it when Eric wasn't home because hmm. otherwise he would be like, what's going on, Sherry? Yeah. <laughs> we can't I, have that. I see that you are cleaning out this closet. <laughs> Would you like to talk about it? No, sir. <laughs> no, sir. I would like to plunge into my collection of t-shirts. Right. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. It's weird. Uh, weird behaviors. Yeah. But yeah. probably most of our listeners have the weird thing that they know they do. Oh, yeah. When they're Right. Yeah. Shauna says that uh, occasionally I get quiet, and that's when she gets concerned. She's kind of mm. quiet today. Anything going on? No. <laughs> I'll get some tacos and chicken wings. <laughs> well, maybe there is something going on. I don't know. She notices that before I do. Um, I think. I think that's like the job of the spouse, right? Like, um, we always, I mean, I feel like with Eric, uh, he'll tell me that something was going on with him and I try to act surprised because really? come hmm. on. Like, We've been together 20 years. You think you're going to chuck me? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, like yesterday. I mean, yesterday I came out after pouring a bottle of water on my laptop during the artist's way group. 
And, you know, going into that group, I come out of my bedroom and the the good man has made brownies with a peanut swirl, oh, uh, like peanut butter swirl. Yeah, that's a man who knows his wife is yep. going through a thing. Yep. Yep. He's saying, yeah. I'm just going to take a moment of noticing and awareness and I'm going to make some brownies because that would be something that would be kind. It would be kind. To do. And also cruel, but because now today I'm left alone with them. But ah, bastard. Um, it's fine. I feel resource today. It's fine. Yeah. So, and, okay. And if you're listening to this, if you'd ever like to make brownies for others, we will happily accept, you know, a kind <laughs> donation. Thank you, Aaron. <laughs> Eric mailed some brownies yeah, to Paul. Gonna make brownies for me. Um, uh, Eric's a good guy for that. He is. He's Thank you for guy. noticing. Yeah, he's a good yeah. guy. And, uh, he is. I like him. I'll yeah, keep him. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, how much do we, or do we, are we comfortable relying on others around us to notice when things are going a little sideways? And... Um, do you notice, because that's it. I mean, when, I mean, how often is like, I don't know, something's going on with uh, Bob over there or whatever, you know, um, what does it take to get somebody to go and check in on, on Bob, you know? So there's mm. the, there's the noticing that something's either going on within yourself or in somebody else. Um, and, uh, how do you act on that? Or, sh- or should you, is it your place to check in on your coworkers when something's going on with them? Because yeah. the more you start looking at things within yourself, the more you start seeing things in other people too. I think, or you start when you, when you tap into that, you don't get to pick. You tap into all of it with everyone, not just yourself and what you do. You start seeing other things in other people too. I think when you tap into that, I think you're right. I mean, and and this is something that I know, I know I struggle with this more than maybe I struggle with anything else. Is for one, I tend to pick up on when things are not going well with people. Um, and how I respond to that sort of depends on where I'm at emotionally. So I will either, uh, try to fix and save all the humans, Mm -hmm. which, uh, I'm starting to notice, uh, all things known, not possible. You cannot save all the humans as it turns out. It seems a little Um, ambitious, but it Mm-hmm. Who am I to mm-hmm. Who am I to tell you no? Right. That you can't I mean, that. if Mother Teresa didn't accomplish it, why does Sherry Spiegel think it's on her tap? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, nobody ever really thought of Mother Teresa as a quitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she failed though. Yeah, she but failed. Uh, we'll give it another shot here. Listen. Yeah, we can. Um, <laughs> we can. But yeah, so so it's tricky because I tend to pick up on things, and so then I want to help and support everyone. Um, I also sometimes don't, I don't always act on what I know as soon as I could. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, and I've had conversations with people who have said to me, yeah, I noticed the other week you weren't doing so well. And I've thought to myself, well, why didn't you say anything? And there's a whole bunch of reasons for that. Right. Um, so I think figuring out how much what does it look like to be community and be compassionate to yourself? I don't know if I know the answer to that. <laughs> I know the answer to that. Come on, 
Uh, Yeah, I don't know if I know the answer to that. Um, I do know if I know the answer to that. The answer is no, I don't know the answer to that. You know, but that's what community is for, you know? Um, I think that's one of the primary responsibilities of a community is to, um, I don't want to use the word check in on each other. It's not check in. It's being aware of issues that affect the community. And if you truly are a community, then one person, one, one person's issue is everyone's issue if one person's concern should be everyone's concern and Mm -hmm. if they really are a community that will be true i'm not saying that there's going to be an easy solution there's going to be an answer um Mm -hmm. but it's known it's known that something is is unaddressed um Mm -hmm. and i think it serves every community that likes to call itself thus to um to give give room for people to safely uh, bring up what's what's going on, you know, mm-hmm. in an honest way, where with with an, a mind not towards fixing it, but just as with a mind towards awareness of it, mm-hmm. just with a mind towards awareness. This is hey everybody, this is a thing. This is going on with me right now. Um, these people in this community are feeling this way. Um, what do you, what do you guys think? And, um, it, it relies on, I think, people ultimately having gas in their own tank in order to be able to work with the needs of a community as well. Um, are the needs of the community just needs of the individual at the community level, or are they fundamentally and substantially different in some sort of way? You know, if there's any biologist, evolutionary biologist, or paleontologist living, uh, listening right now, this is the microevolution versus macroevolution debate. Is macroevolution just successive rounds of microevolution at a large scale, or a selection happening on some fundamentally different emergent property of a of a population and, and that sort of ties into this. Are community issues more than individual issues brought up at a community level? Mm. Or are they fundamentally different in some sort of way? Well, I think it depends on how we see ourselves in relationship to the community because I don't know. I've been thinking a lot more lately about the interconnectedness of everything. You've been using um, that word. You've been mm-hmm. using that word. I have. Because um, I don't like serendipity because I think it was a hokey movie. Uh, and synchronicity, I can never trust my tongue to say. Um, though I just did it. So I guess there we go. Um, but yeah, the interconnectedness. And so, you know, one of the things I'm, I really am starting to see is that we can think about the individual needs or, and the community needs. Um, but none of us are all that unique, right? Like, right. um, so the reality is that if I think if I'm sitting in my own pain and my own suffering and I'm dwelling there within it, I could stay there and I could ask all of my community to come dwell with me, or I could look at my community and I can see the interconnectedness of the suffering I have. Right. Because yeah. if I really want to, I can look at the communities I have and whatever the deepest, darkest, most horrible suffering that I think I'm in, if I really look at my community, I can see 
echoes of all that pain in all the other people around me too. Right. To me, that that question of serendipity, synchronicity, and interconnectedness can inter. Yeah, it's tough to say interconnectedness. Um, because serendipity and synchronicity are the, are the question. It's like, huh, serendipity. You know, it's it's stated synchronicity. I mean, it's it's almost stated like a question. What is mm-hmm. the answer to that question? You know, and I think the answer to that question of serendipity, synchronicity, why is that? What's that about? I think the answer is interconnectedness. It's I think ser- you're right. It's, it's serendipity because it's interconnected. You know, interconnectedness is the could, I shouldn't say like I know how the universe works, you know, I'm only answering myself, but interconnectedness is the process behind the pattern of because syn- synchronicity and serendipity are a pattern. Interconnectedness yeah. is a process, you know, um, interdependence. Yeah. You know, why did that I happen? Mean, for- well, the whole is one. Why do you think it happened? <laughs> you and I are right. the same. Of course, you know. Right. I mean, I think interconnectedness is both the answer, but it's also, it's also the problem that we experience because of our vantage point. Like, I think we can trust that everything's interconnected, but we can't always see it because we're too close. Yeah. And I think that's, so I think synchronicity and serendipity both, they tap into the idea of mystery. Uh, which is one of my favorite words because I do teach a class. You teach about a class. Yeah. Formal. I was going to say you teach a class. I do. Um, but I also, like, I ran across, and I don't even remember how I got here, but we'll just call it synchronicity. Um, but I ran across this Richard Rohr quote this week that I've just been, like, totally, like, jiving with this week. Um, and so he says that mystery is not something that you can't know. Mystery is endless knowability. And I think that connects for me to interconnectedness and serendipity. Like we feel instances of serendipity and synchronicity and they are mysterious to us because there is an endless opportunity to know more about why these things happen like they did. Like Mm. they, we get glimmers of connection, but we can't understand it. Because there's something bigger outside well, of us. I was going to say, what gets in the way? What gets in the way of that understanding? You know, because it's like all things known. Well, some things known, other things still hidden. What what uh, what gets in the way of? I mean, I mean, it's easy to chalk it up to ego and say, well, you know, ego, uh, self interest, whatever. There's got to be more to I it mean, than that, though. It's perspective, though, right? Like it's um, there's. I am only but one person in this universe. And so there, as long as there is a new human to interact with or a new person to ask an interesting question of, there's endless knowability. Endless knowability, right? yeah. Right? Like, yeah, everybody, you know, everybody feels like they got to figure it out until you get a different opinion that, uh, oh, that's not even thought about that. And then all of a sudden your world gets a little bit bigger. You know, that's why you travel. You know, that's why travel is good, you know, because it ex- literally expands your world mm-hmm. by seeing the other ways that people interact with each other and with their surroundings. And they eat different food and they speak a different language and they have different rules of the road. Oh my God, these people are driving on the left. Um, uh, and you just like your mind is blown sometimes by that and you realize that the world's a much bigger place than, than you thought it was. 
Um, and then you find out that it's even bigger than you thought it was after you thought it was even bigger than it was. And I dig that. Yeah, I dig that phrase, endless nobility. I dig that. Yeah, it's it's I good stuff, that. right? Yeah. Um, but I don't think it's, I don't think people seek the endless knowability, right? Like, I, I think, I think it is often more comfortable to sit in some comfort at what we already know. I think it takes a lot of guts to stay curious. Yeah, I was listening to a podcast today. Um, I did not tell you this, so this is news, and you're gonna you're gonna react to it um, live slash re, uh, live slash recorded live, you know, on the podcast. Um, I was listening to a podcast this morning featuring one Richard Rohr um, as a as a guest. Yeah, because um, it's like Ah Sherry always talks about this guy. I guess I ought to check it out a little bit and see what's going on. Come to the dark side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fascinating guy. Um, I love his perspective. You know, um, on progressive Christianity and it was on the Bible for normal people. Do you listen to that one? I've Have listened to of some it? of it. He has, he has so much. Yeah, it is. Yeah. He's, he's, uh, that's pretty, it's pretty interesting podcast for a recovering, <laughs> you know, Lutheran such as myself. Um, and, uh, he was talking about this and he, he talked about how when he, he has his own students talk, I mean, talking about scriptural things, but you mm-hmm. know, it's, uh, this this applies to many things. There, he talks about the three boxes. Um, there's the box of you know what you know, and because you've been told that and you sort of believe it. And then there's the box of deconstructionism, where it's like you end up being contrarian, and it's like, well, this couldn't have happened this way because we have the scientific data, and well, the Earth can't be six thousand years old because we have radiocarbon, you know. And you and a lot of people go from box one. Well, a lot of people never leave box one. Right. Which is, it is the way that it is, and I'm not going to question it. And then there's yeah. box two, which is, well, you know, I am going to question that. And then everything sort of collapses under of, uh, under its own weight. And a lot of people end up there. And I think mm-hmm. he would argue that the objective is actually to end up in box three, which is reconstructionism. So, you know, what's the point here? The point is not to completely tear something apart uh, because it, 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 it is because it is counter to your known experience. When your known experience gets in the way of your belief system, right? Dump your belief system, use your known experience, take what gems you can and what information you can with what you started with and construct something that's useful mm-hmm. out of it. You know, and that's box three. And what he was saying is like, you can't go right from box one to, to box three. You got to go through box two. You mm-hmm. know, you have to go to box three, box two to go to box three. You know, and it, that resonates with what you were, you were saying a little bit, I think, to me that yeah. you can be comfortable in, in what you believe and that's fine. And a lot of people are there and they get stuck there. And a lot mm-hmm. of people say, Hey, this is bullshit. And you can, you break it down and you end up with nihilism. And then you end up with, well, you know what? However, I am, you know, um, I heard, you know, that you know, good exists in the world. And so I'm going to believe that. And then you're disappointed by all the shitty things that people do to each other. And that all sort of falls apart. But then it's say, you know, but I, I, you know, and I, I see the horrible things that people do to each other and the way they treat each other. Um, yet I'm not going to live in that pessimism. I'm not going to live in that despair of how I see the world around me with that. 
I'm going to take mm-hmm. what I see and I'm going to say, okay, there is despair. And I have these other little gems that I can bring to it because I still have hope. You know, after all the pain that I've seen in 49 years of my life, I still think people are inherently good. Mm-hmm. I think they're inherently good. And I think this world brings out the worst in them. And, um, so I'm going to, I'm going to work towards the good, mm-hmm. you know, welcome to box three. It's like, and that requires you to do that despite, um, the, the pull of, uh, fatalism that box two brings. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think it, it, it points to the need for a kind of choose your own adventure approach to mm-hmm. the world, right? Um, boxes don't work well for me in general, right? but, right, right. um, you know, our, our, as much as I love language, it runs out and things like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But, you know, as you were talking, like Richard Rohr's boxes remind me a lot of one of the most transformative things that happened in my doctoral experience that although it was about becoming a better academic, like I think it fundamentally changed the way I see the world. Something as small as that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, one of the things that most English grad students go through, usually in their master's degree, is they take a critical theory class. Um, and I know a lot of people that have been wrecked, like absolutely wrecked by their critical theory classes. Mm. Um, and I count myself amongst them. Um, when I took my master's degree, like I remember taking critical theory and it being like, this really interesting moment where I became convinced that I was the dumbest human alive. Um, but critical theory was just very difficult for me in part because critical theory is designed to break things down right. and to deconstruct them. Right. Um, but I was always left after we break things down. I was always left in despair mode because what do you do after that? Like it was always, it was very problematic for me. Um, so one of my mentors, uh, Louise Weatherby Phelps, taught this class, my first summer doctoral institute called Productive Theory. Um, and that class broke my brain in all the best ways. It broke my heart. It broke all the things. Cool, cool. Those are the yeah, best no, classes. I'm, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Those are the best ones. Finally, you get your money's worth, right, for taking the class, right? Absolutely. I would take that class a thousand. And in fact, for years, I would tell people entering that program, like, you you should do anything you can to get in a productive theory class with Louise. Um, but one of the things that that class did was it maintained that the best way to theorize is to pick pieces of different things together, like pick up what's useful for you and put down the things that aren't right. and cobble together, you know, this. And so she, Louise is very concept driven. So you look at concepts and you try to figure out how do you weave concepts together to find something that that resonates, that that works with what you're experiencing, what you're looking at, the data set or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized that I've begun to approach all of my life as a productive theorist. At first, it worked for my doctoral work. But then, you know, like my faith system is productive theory. There are parts of the faith tradition that I was raised in that are I believe are fundamentally toxic to who, who I am right. as a human being. Right. Today. Right. So I put those things down. I don't need to keep carrying them. Um, and then I pick up some other things, you know, some Richard Rohr, a little bit of uh, Tara Brack. You know, I put, you know, I pick up some other things and you cobble that together. And then in that, 
is some bit of knowledge worth knowing. Yeah, the buffet. And I think everybody does that if they admit it or not. Yeah. You know, um, nobody adheres 100% to an orthodoxy that was given to them. Everybody hobbles pieces together from their own experience, you know, because, you know, orthodoxy can be anything to a biblical approach to something, to the Bill of Rights, to the U.S. Constitution, to, you know, a book that you read that you liked, right? And you like some parts of it, but the other parts of it, I mean, usually you end up changing your, your, uh, your set of rules before you will actually change your, change your life because your known experience drives the bus. I think mm-hmm. with, with a lot of that. And it's like, you know, I think most people, if not everyone, uh, and I don't say that lightly, ultimately hobble together their own set of rules and guidelines based on a multitude of, of sources of information and the glue that holds these things together into a unified set of, I mean, I don't want to call it morals or ethics or anything like that, more of a way of being, um, is your lived experience. Mm-hmm. And, and, and how what, would, how would feel, how things, how things feel when you, when you live your life according to those set of rules and how you don't. And mm-hmm. knowing that when you're acting in some way, either anti to them or antithetical to them or against them, uh, all things known. Aware. That's what I was going to ask. <laughs> Is that what we're evoking when we say all things ah, known? No, this, this, this either fits into, um, my set of guidelines. It expands my set of guidelines or, or, or hobbled together patchwork of, you know, of, of ethical considerations or, it is somebody else who has a set that is different than mine who is perfectly happy with theirs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Noticing. Aware. Mm-hmm. Interesting. You know, um, and, and therefore I don't have it all figured out. I just have it somewhat figured out for me sometimes. And it's open to interpretation and revision. Mm-hmm. But if that's what you got and that's what you know that you got, um, I think you're doing all right. And knowing yep. that you're probably never going to have something that is going to be a finished product. It's going to be evolving your mm-hmm. whole life. And that, and knowing that, knowing that this is always going to be subject to revision, things will continually, what was the phrase? What was the phrase? The endless unknowing? The endless knowability. Endless knowability. Endless unknowing. That describes my teenage years. Um, endless <laughs> knowability. It reminds, me of, it, reminds, it reminds me of high school, actually. Um, uh, that I think that that sort of hits at that a little bit. That endless knowability implies that knowability is never done, and you know you'll die before you get there. But the your life is the journey. Something as small as that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like so it's very interesting the idea of endless knowability, like and like letting that become the norm and not the. The challenge, like, the mystery is the endless knowability. Like, ah, how relaxing. You know, because I used to get so threatened by what I don't know. Oh, the pressure's off. Oh, yeah. You can never know. Pressure's off. (laughs) Never. Yeah. So, you know, I used to have this bracelet that was like, seek knowledge. Um, And part of that was driven by the fact that, like, I used to always be worried that I was always the stupidest person in the room. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but in the age of Google, why does it really matter whether you're an encyclopedia? Yeah, the objective changed. Yeah, from how much can you contain to how much can you access and, and relate. Yeah, but 
But I think as I, you know, as I, as that bracelet has broken off and I've sort of like moved on to like, well, what are my other intentions for myself? You know, curiosity is such a bigger value to me than knowledge. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and I think it speaks to that endless, you know, like maybe all things known isn't the goal, but all things noticed is. Yeah. Yeah. All things noticed, yeah. aware, aware that there are other things that I don't understand and that is outside of my range. But, um, I mean, if you go to the buffet and you, you don't eat every single thing that's just out the there. Wing. Yeah. Yeah. Just the chicken. If you don't eat every single thing that's out there, it's not a failure. It's like, wow, I didn't eat everything. So I completely failed. It's like there's some things that you don't onboard and that's okay. The objective of the, of the buffet is not literally to eat every single thing on the buffet. That's not your plate. You know, the objective is to take what you want, leave what you are not feeling like that day, put together something that you're going to call a unified whole a la dinner. The bread pudding is a must, as is the soft serve bar. Um, so not doing that would cause me to have questions about your approach. Otherwise, you know, you go home, you had a great meal. You probably ate more than you should have, but that's life. You know, you probably know more than you should anyway. It's not a failure that you didn't have everything. I, so. I just made yes. that up. That's my buffet. All of that, I agree. Analogy of the universe. And yet I have to ask you an unrelated, well, a related question. Okay, so you mentioned soft serve at the buffet, which I think means we have an interesting moment to know something new about one another. So the soft serve bar, right? Obviously you get toppings. What toppings do you acquire at the soft serve buffet? Uh, what do you put on your soft I, serve? Always peanuts. Always peanuts. Uh-huh. Always peanuts. Uh uh, hot fudge if they got it, little caramel sauce if they got it. I, I prefer the liquid toppings versus the solid ones. Um, but if they got like, uh, like fruit loops or something like that, I'll totally put a breakfast cereal around there. Um, absolutely. Um, I prefer the swirl. If there's a chocolate vanilla hybrid we could do, that's always good. Um, yeah, I always like the, I mean, the, the hot fudge sauce. Yes, that's always so good. Feels right. Peanuts. Um, but I grew up on the peanut buster parfait at, at Dairy Queen. That was always my mm-hmm. favorite, which was the ice cream with the hot chocolate, the hot fudge with the peanuts on. It's like, oh yes, that was I'm a simple man with simple tastes, and that hit, that flipped every switch that I got right there. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes we we have a niece that when we visit her out of state. We go to the sweet frog and she'll literally put a spoonful of literally everything on. It's like, my God, how could you even eat that? You know? It's like mm-hmm. Interesting. This goes down the line, you know, and a little bit of a little bit of everything on it. Mm. You did not mention my typical go to in a soft serve. Oh yeah, what's that? What is it? The sprinkles? Well so, is so it the sprinkles? I, so I usually go with a dish situation because Yeah, 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 yeah. It has to be a dish situation. But, yeah. Um, for whatever reason, when I was, when I was a kid and I would go to like these horrible buffet places, uh, which seemed to be a lot, we did this a lot. Um, the soft serve was really just an excuse to load up on gummy bears. I love gummy bears that have like hung out in soft serve and gotten like really far too like hard for a human tooth to really be able to. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah, that's my, like, the rest of it's gravy, but I'm really in it for those, like, semi-frozen gummy bears. Yeah. So now you know that about me. You know what my actually favorite candy is? Hmm. Sour gummy tape. Hmm. Preferably the red, not the green. They're not flavors, they're just colors. That's, yeah, that's how Eric talks about it. He also talks about NyQuil that way. And I like car- I like candy corn, too, but I don't really... Kind of strange that way. Yeah. All things know. Candy corn. I love candy corn. My favorite candy in the world I almost never get. It is a Heath bar. I love a Heath bar. Not a score? Heath? No. Because they're similar. I know. Heath bar. Heath bar. All things known. I'm aware. And I'm noticing. ice cream with Heath bar in it. Oh, yeah. You know how else I use that known? being All things becoming known. Aware. Noticing. It's it's also oh. to anchor that within myself when new information comes in. Mm. It's a way of directing my attention to new information that it, it doesn't just like fly out the other ear. It sort of anchors it yeah. a little bit and makes it makes it a little more present than it did before. It's mm-hmm. like I am noticing that you said that. Expect a Heath bar on your birthday, you know, <laughs> but not a score. A Heath bar, you know. So it, yeah. it brings some attention, uh, in intentional attention. To things, mm-hmm. uh, which includes increases the likelihood of it sticking. I think in my in my head is something. Oh, this is good, you know. Uh, this person took the time to tell me this thing. I'm going to do the respectful thing to do, which is to pay attention to it and uh, take a minute to to let that sort of gel within me and, and sit by literally saying out loud using other senses besides just hearing, noticing. Mm-hmm. I'm noticing that you. Like the Heath bar. And you'll never forget it again. Yeah. I'll never forget it again. You know, I don't think you well, would. we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, and this is a hypothesis we can test. And, yeah. and, uh, so that's another way that I do use that noticing, aware, mm-hmm. oh, all things known, all things known. Um, I typically mm-hmm. use the ah, noticing, aware for smaller things. When it's a bigger thing, it's like ah, all things. You know, I sort of reserve that a little bit for the. Yeah. For the denouement, or the big thing, or the big unveil, or something like that. Um, yeah. I do like having language that we use, though, to purposefully, like, acknowledge when when new information is not just presented, but actually received. Yeah, that not, um, it, language is good for that. It's yeah. one of the things language is good for, is acknowledgement. Yeah. And... I think, you know, language is incredibly important for me. And because I spend a lot of time in my head, um, one of the things I spend a lot of time wrestling with is, like, after I've had an experience, like, with a group of people or, you know, with one person, like, I spend a lot of time thinking, did they did they hear me when I said, did they know what I was trying to say? Um, and so I think things like little checks like that, whether somebody uses that language or something, you know, that's more like, you know, psychology language of what I think I hear you saying is. May or may right, not possibly be. Yeah. There's, there really is something about taking time to acknowledge, uh, that new understanding has emerged within a relationship. Yeah. And that's what I do when I sit there looking like an idiot when I'm, when somebody says something, I just kind of sit there. Uh-huh. It's like, where do I feel this in my body? Does this make sense to me? Where exactly is that? How would I describe this new information? Does it resonate through me like ringing a bell? 
Yeah. You know, um, and language does it too. You know, it's like yeah, language does it too. I hear you. Mm-hmm. I hear what you said. You said mm-hmm. that you like Heath bars. Yeah. I mean. Namaste. <laughs> the light in me sees the light in you, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is good for that. It is. Yeah, I mean, I I need a lot more verbalized than some of my other compadres. I've heard. <laughs> he has noticed this. Aware. You know, aware. And he is aware. It's a joy. All it's things a, know. It's a joy. It's a joy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. There it is. You know what I know? What? That we just finished season one. Yeah, we did. That's a wrap on of season one. Most unbelievable podcast. podcast. Man, what a trip. Oh, Jerry, have a podcast. Yes. 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 And this mm-hmm. started episode one was uh, right before the pandemic in, was that late February, early March? Yep. Uh, we're at month three, give or take. Uh, Mm-hmm. In this, uh, this is what episode sixteen, I think, give or take, um, fifteen plus a bonus that we threw in. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, it was the episode one is the only episode we recorded in person. It's true, and perhaps one day we'll do another one in person. That's the hope. But in the meantime, um, we now know more about how to record at a distance than yeah. we once did. Well, you know what? If you got to figure something out, figure it out the hard way, and then the easy way will be easy. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, what I think is known to us is that it can be done. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, it's easy. Yeah. You know, but if your uh, intentions are, are good, intentions are right, if it's something you want to do, if it's something that you want to do in earnest, and seriously, and mm-hmm. uh, you can you can do it. You can mm-hmm. do it. Um, and Sherry, it has been a joy to mm. do this with you for the first sixteen weeks, and I look forward to summer doing it again. Yes, it's me too, joy. Paul. It has been a joy. It's been a pleasure. Here's to the next season. Here's to the next season. So um, we do have some topics. Uh, I remember maybe two of them uh, mm-hmm. that we got coming up. We got a couple mapped out, you know, um, by mapped out. Yeah. And then we have a title and an intention and we'll kind of go from there. Um, well, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, hmm. I am too. What's interesting is I I see in our intentions for season two, some of this conversation. Um, I think a lot of what we talked about as far as that season is picking up kind of like what I was saying about productive theory. Like we're picking up concepts that are of interest to us. Um, and, uh, the things that we have come to know and we're going to play with them yeah. for a whole episode. Yeah. I think it's going to be fun. Yeah. And we're going to play with them, uh, in podcast form and play with them in blog form mm-hmm. and play with them in workshop form a little bit. You know, yeah. um, it'd be nice yeah. if we had a website that we would have all this on. Do we? It, you know what? As we, it turns out, we, we do, do have a website. www. This most unbelievable life. dot com. Um, 
And you can find our socials on there. We got the Instas and the Facebooks and the, I'm not even going to try to remember these things anymore. Just go to the website and click the link and you can <laughs> to the social yeah. of your show, of your preference, your, your preferred social media outlet and you can find it there. Maybe for season two, we will streamline our outro of ways to get in contact with us. Yeah. Like and maybe. subscribe. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Um, maybe Who some knows? more, maybe some more live stuff. Maybe some more live stuff. We'll see. We have toyed with doing a season one roundup with a little listener feedback. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Who knows? That could be a thing that appears. We haven't talked about it and I'm talking about it live with Paul just staring at me. Yeah, we have talked about it, but we haven't done anything with it. So, um, yeah. if anybody has like any feedback about anything at all in season one, um, I'm not saying go back and listen to 16 episodes, but you can if you'd like to um, and recommend us to your friends. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, we've talked about a little season one recap. So if anybody has any any thoughts on anything about the whole season or individual podcasts yeah. or blogs or blogs, you know, that we've done or workshops or whatever within uh, these first three months, we're happy to uh, give ear and to speak voice. To yep. our thoughts on what those, uh, what those, what your, what your thoughts are. And we'll listen to it and we'll go, mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Noticing. Aware. We'll probably say, hmm. Aware. Hmm. All things known. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, if folks haven't checked out Paul's audio blog. Wait, what? Right, they could check those out if they don't have time for a full hour of us bantering. Yeah, if you got a, you got time for a full fifteen minutes, twenty bite sized moments. Yeah, so um, uh, I've I've suffered through a little bit of writers. I don't want to call it writers blocks as much as it's just not coming out that way. So you, what was that? Two weeks ago or whatever that was, Sherry. Mm -hmm. You said, "Well, let's just record the thing" or something like that. Or, or no, yeah, it's not how it went. I, I did like, record Paul. something. I did record. Yeah, you got that kind of low guttural. guttural. <laughs> Um, I, I did record something that sort of was moving through me and I was saying, I don't know, I recorded this thing in a completely unrelated note. Uh, I have writer's block and you said, well, why don't you just post the audio as the blog? And I was like, brilliant, obvious, brilliant, uh, brilliant and uh, obvious and brilliant because it, it never crossed my mind that that would be yeah. acceptable or something that would do. Um, and so I did too. And so uh, another one's up there. From more recently, but what are they, Sherry? 10, 15 minutes of pop? I mean, they're not long. Yep. And on the second one, even I make a guest appearance. You do make a guest appearance. All hard questions. You do. And they I have... really just think that that's my new hobby, is waiting until Paul presses record to ask hard questions. <laughs> yeah. What if? Um, and they have trippy intro music and all that kind of fun stuff. That I... It's not trippy. It's more of like. It's like sexy slow jams. Gen with X, Paul. Gen X lounge music. I don't know what it is, but it's like, yeah, that's gonna. Our work. season two music will not be that music. Yeah, I we don't. We haven't now. decided on anything, but it's not going to be that. Um, yeah, that's what we've decided on. I like it though, right? It's like, yeah, well, that's Paul. Um, <laughs> See, we're ending with 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 us fighting. This is. <laughs> Just like you said, will they be back for season two? Is this the end of the Paul and Jerry? If podcast? they can decide on theme music. Yeah. Well, well, if we decide on theme music, there will be an episode next week. And if we can't, well, we won't have theme music. It's been nice. <laughs> it's been either, we, we won't do a, a podcast or we won't do. We had a good run. Yeah, we had a good run. Uh, we have a, yeah, we have a, a documented history of. Wonderful conversations yeah. over the last over the last three months. 
If we can't settle on any pre-recorded music, I will settle for you humming the best part of waking up. Uh, yeah, that could I could I could do that. No, yeah, we're gonna find that. <laughs> part of waking up is the Paul and Sherry podcast in your cup. Um, so uh, this is our last episode where the days are longer than the nights, mm, right? Um, and so after this, the they'll at least be equinoctial, or the nights will become. No, that's not true. I'm screwing that a whole equinox. Yeah, so this is the last the last day where the days are getting longer. So um, after this, the nights will start getting a little bit longer, and the days will start getting Careful, shorter. Careful, you're going to lose your science. Have to right? wait. I know. It's like I just lost my PhD. Oh, my God. There it goes out the window. Um, mm-hmm. We're not quite to the equinox yet, but um, solstice. So, yeah. Solstice. Cool. Mm-hmm. Coming yep. up on the longest day of the year, and there it is. Do love myself as solstice. So. Here comes summer. Here comes summer. Mm-hmm. Here it comes. Cool. Cool. Thanks, Paul. Thank you, Sherry. I'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Bye. Peace. See everybody soon. Thanks for listening, folks. Mm-hmm.